Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is no better group of plants for flower power forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Today, I'm joined by a lifelong plant breeder with a wealth of experience in seed production. Much travelled from China to Thailand. It's David Chisholm. My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast. Hard frosts overnight have uh, put the finish to all tender summer bedding. So uh, there's no excuse, you know, we've got to clear the debris and plant for the new season. A very generous donation from uh, a couple of companies have given us thousands of bulbs to uh, plant in our floral fantasia area at uh, Hyde Hall. A hayloft and especially Diego have sent uh, tulips and uh, daffodils in all sizes that are going to make a fantastic show. I haven't researched it properly yet, but uh, I think the anniversary for Wordsworth occurs next year, and we'll certainly have a host of golden daffodils on show. won't just be golden. We'll have some white ones, some pink trumpet ones, some red trumpet ones, and even uh, white and yellow doubles. Should be quite a show. In the news this week is former Unilever marketing executive Keith Weed. Supported by the Royal Horticulture Society Council, uh, it looks as if he is going to become the president of the RHS from July next year when Sir Nicholas Bacon retires after seven years in that role. I think there might be some uh, comments and bits of humour surrounding the new president's name, Keith Weed, seems particularly appropriate as the boss of the Royal Horticultural Society. In the news very much uh, this week again is the suggestion that we reuse rather than recycle. And Derek Mansell from uh, H. Smith Plastics, he's been there I think for 45 years, or the company's certainly been going for 45 years, they recycle black plastic for pretty well all of their pots and I was on a very large wholesale nursery down near Chichester last week and I was interested to see that all of the pots coming in in black carry trays were just lifted out and sleeved ready for supermarket delivery and all of the black carry plastic trays go back on the Danish trolleys to the nursery from whence they came and are used time and time and time again. I do wish that there would be much more emphasis on this reuse uh, rather than the uh, recycle message, particularly when it comes to black plastic. I spent uh, several hours in Holland at the Alsmere Trade Fair, 600 exhibitors offering the latest plants 
cut flower and all the ancillary products. I came across a new poinsettia called Blissful Red. It's uh, attractive apparently to growers particularly because the branches grow at a more upright angle so when they're dropped into a sleeve the branches don't break. Apparently it's been given the drop test. I'd not come across that before but apparently when a plant is ready to be uh, put onto lorries and sent for sale uh, they hold one at waist height and just drop it. And, of course, the weight of the pot keeps it upright. But when it hits the ground, it has quite a shock. And uh, if the plant is a bit on the brittle side, then it loses a branch or two. Uh, And I'm told that uh, Blissful Red passed the drop test with flying colours. And so uh, if you go to Sainsbury and buy one of those, when you take the sleeve off, they should all be in place and none of the branches broken. It was uh, very much a sparkly sort of uh, show in Ellesmere with all kinds of houseplants being uh, artificially coloured. Uh, I'm not too sure about that somehow. Uh, I did notice in our local supermarket that even the poinsettias had a silver sprinkle on the uh, bracks. Uh, I like the traditional plant without it being uh, interfered with these artificial colours but there we are, takes all kinds tremendous revival in green plants Uh, to see that even uh, the likes of John Lewis are selling spider plants at uh, £7 a time so if you happen to have one of those from a long time ago with a whole number of spiders dangling from it, you need to get potting, could make you quite a bit of money at the next plant fair at Grow South, a trade show here, but down in Chichester, it was good to meet and greet so many people. And a lot from the bedding plant industry tell me that uh, sales have been pretty slow this autumn. And one of the reasons is that uh, plant breeders have done such a good job with the summer flowering bedding that it just goes on and on. As I was saying last week, the uh, begonia big has really flowered better in September, October and even into November than it did in high summer. Uh, Fortunately, a lot of us grow stuff in containers so we can pot up some of the winter flowering stuff and then when Jack Frost does uh, his or her worst, then at least we've got something to bring out and put in its place. And if you do have um, dahlia tubers and begonia corms to harvest, then the thing to do is to take off the bulk of the compost or soil around them, but don't try and clean them too far down. Just let them dry. It's much easier to get the soil or compost off the tubers and corms once it is dry and crumbly. Once they are really well cleaned, then they just need storing in paper bags in a frost-free place. Preferably not too hot. Just frost-free. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, walking some very extensive vegetable trials uh, staged by John Burrows of uh, Provage earlier this summer, I bumped in, into David Chisholm. Now, uh, he's a man who uh, really knows the plant breeding world back to front, and I'm pleased to invite him onto the programme today for interview. Uh, David, you're a much-travelled man, I believe, but how did you get started into plant breeding? Oh, well, this goes back many, many years. I've been in the game now for over 40 years, and the way it started was... I went from school to the University of Birmingham, and at the University of Birmingham, I did biological sciences, which was a course that specialised in genetics in the third year. And I got the more I got into genetics, the more interested I got in how to use it in a practical sense. And the desire to do genetics practically led me into plant breeding. I mean, it would be difficult today for people to get on a course of that kind, wouldn't it? The universities don't really do much with... Uh, uh, yes and no. Um, one of the things that I do currently is, is there's a, a plant breeding course that run as a postgraduate course at the John Innes Centre in Norwich. Oh, is that? And I'm one of the guest speakers. Uh, so, so there's a very technical element to the course, which leads into much more technical stuff than I did 40 years ago in terms of genetic modification and how to do things like that. I'm very much a traditional breeder rather than a modern breeder in that sense. However, what I do, to, my part of the talk is to talk to the students about this is how the business of plant breeding works rather than just this is the technical side of how plant breeding is done. Well, if anybody's listening, you know, we currently, with the David Colgrave Foundation, uh, have scholarships, 2,500, I think, up to 5,000, for people wanting to uh, go into that area. Yeah. Well, the John Lewis Centre website uh, details all, all the courses. It's an M MSc course, and it has usually 20 to 30 people on it every year, and it's very international uh, from... The UK, the EU, and much further afield as well. And, and I enjoy being part of it. Okay. As an aside, my current greenhouses that I, I, I do the plant breeding out of, I actually rent from the John Innes Centre. So I'm, I'm, I'm part of the University of East Anglia John Innes Centre of Excellence, yeah. which, is, which is quite fun. Yeah, yeah, you're right in the heart of all that activity. But how easy was it to get a job then leaving Birmingham University with those qualifications? Um, in the traditional areas, very difficult. As it happens, Floranova Limited had just started up the same year as I qualified, and through luck more than anything, I heard of this startup, and I applied to join the startup. And for whatever reason, they liked me enough to to give me a chance. I mean, in the in the early days of Floranova, there was no plant breeding at all. Uh, it was 
set up to breed plants, but they had no cash. So the cash came from selling pot plants off a pot plant van, doing pot plant van sale rounds to various garden centres on three days a week to generate the money to do plant breeding on two days a week. And that lasted for about four or five years. I didn't know that. Goodness. Yeah. And yeah. The, the guy who set it up originally, Mike Hoff, you know, he, he was a Pelagonium man through and through from his time at the University of Bath. And I sort of took over the Pelagonium breeding gradually. And now, you know, Pelagonium is one of my main specialities. And you had enormous success, didn't you? I mean, the varieties have remained standard in, in the F1 zone. Or, yeah, yes, uh, and, and that's one of the, the things about these... Uh, in, in vegetables in particular, there's a very, uh, particularly in cereals, there's a very, very fast turn, turnover of varieties in the ornamentals and de- decoratives. Once you get an established name, then that tends to stay, f- those varieties stay in the market for a long time. The Horizon Geraniums, for example, are one of mine, and I've been away from Floranova now for getting on 20 years, 16 years I left flown over to set up by myself. And those, a lot of those varieties are still on the market. And major varieties are that, aren't they? Well, I can't claim major varieties in that I've never been on the marketing side. Mm-hmm. So the, you, 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 first of all, you make the variety, then you make, make the production, and then you make the sales. And however good the variety is, as a breeder, unless you have a good sales team and a marketing team, you can have the perfect variety and you're still not going to penetrate the market in any significant way unless you have a good sales team behind you as well. Yeah. I mean, certainly as I do, walk the trials over all those years, you know, since you've left Florinova, Horizon, you keep seeing it, you know, and remaining remarkably stable. When, a long time ago again, when Florinova bought the Claw Seed Company one of the varieties that came as part of that package was the Prism Petunia. Now, when Floranova bought Prism variety, that was already a 10-year-old, longer-old set of varieties, and they are still going strong 20-something years later. So once once you get a stable variety and it, the market likes it, it can be very persistent. Yes. Didn't you have a good yellow in Prism? That was bred by Zene Cascante of Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, And uh, that that won a gold medal from the Fleur Slate, um, an AAS medal in the States as well. That was the first yellow petunia at all, and it won all sorts of awards, and it's still being sold. Yeah. And, And all that from a very modest unit up there near Norwich. Yeah. In terms of scale, you do need to grow reasonable numbers of plants, a few tens of thousands of plants over the development cycle of a, of a program. But by being clever and efficient and thoughtful, you can actually do significant progress with, with relatively small facilities, certainly. Yeah. And what about the compact vegetables? Because uh, there was quite a name made for Florinova with those, wasn't there? Yes, I, I, again, that was more of an idea of Mike Hoff then than, than me. But certainly the hobby garden of vegetables, the semi-decorative, semi-edible, semi-dwarf um, material. Uh, there's one particular pepper, red skin, that I bred probably more than 30 years ago, and that's still a, a name in the trade. People are asking for it all the time, which is 
quite nice to see a sort of long-term breeding, um, yes. long-ago breeding still being in the market. You must be very proud of that. I mean, it was, yes, one of the first of the compact, um, what I would call almost windowsill peppers, but certainly patio peppers, and I mean, a very good variety to grow. Uh, satisfied rather than proud. I mean, I... I, I, I try to be reasonably modest in, in, in what I've done, and uh, I'm satisfied that I've done a good job and it's had good market acceptance and has been around for a long time. So satisfaction rather than pride, I guess, is my feeling. Oh, right. <laughs> and so what about now? Now you're on your own. Um, what, what are your uh, specialisms and what are your aims? Well, I worked for Florina for, for, I think, 25 years, and I've now been 16 years on, on my own. And when I, in my latter years of Florinova, as well as seed production, I was doing, uh, sorry, as well as plant breeding, I was doing seed production. And I was responsible for both aspects. And I found, and, and I was enjoying the seed production bit of the business more and more. So I decided it was time to, to spread my wings and, and, and try on my own. So I left Florinova to make a seed production business rather than a plant breeding business. Oh, right. And that was in 2003. And that started to work quite well. I'd seen quite a lot of production sites. I'd seen quite a lot of particularly hybrid production in my role at Florinova. Um, so... I started looking at production um, options, and particularly for open pollinated, and particularly for uh, large-scale productions, and particularly in China because at the time the pound uh, yuan rate was 15. Today it's close to eight. So by doing nothing, the seed price from China has doubled. Goodness, yeah. Um, but you, uh, you, uh, men- you mentioned open pollinated. Yes. Uh, I mean, there aren't many people left now with the skill to uh, rogue and handle those open pollinated crops. No, uh, and, and, part, and part of the skill there is, is training the farmers how to see what they're looking for and to be part of the maintenance programme. You know, it takes some years' experience, doesn't it, to be it, able to walk a field crop? It, it, uh, it, it, it does. In this business, there are two very distinct markets. The one that I started in was the hybrid and professional side, which is relatively small scale, but relatively high value. The other half of the business is the the seed price is lower, but the volumes are enormously greater. Uh, In hybrid viola, for example, you're talking about a few tens of kilos as being a big crop. And in open pollinated, you're talking about a few tens of tons being a normal crop. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a staggering difference. The values are probably, the total values are probably similar, but the actual volumes are enormously greater. And, and people need to remember when they're buying seed, particularly the opening, open pollinated kinds, the more rigorously the farmer rogues and keeps the thing true, the less seed he gets. And so it's almost um, 
a negative position, isn't it? You know, got to, you get what you pay for. Uh, in, indeed, and so so what you actually need to look for is, or what I try to look for, is farmers who you have to pay a bit more to, but to actually do a much better job. Yeah. Um, at, at the moment in production, uh, I, I do some contract production work in the west of China, in Gansu province, which is in the Gobi Desert, and. A desert actually is a perfect place to produce high-quality seed if you've got water, and so the Gobi Desert actually has mountains to the south, and every summer they have enough water melting from the mountains to flood the desert to grow excellent plants with very good germination because the humidity is low. So the combination of water, temperature, and low humidity in this particular reason region has made it a um, a world centre for seed production. Yeah, I mean, because if you go back fifty or hundred years, it was Essex, wasn't it? Dry Essex, and it's and yeah. it's exactly the same principle. So you look in Germany, you had Erfurt. You look at France, you have the Loire Valley, uh, I, and then people started to move to California because Lompoc Valley in California had the perfect climate, but that became expensive. So people have been find trying to find a balance between price, seed quality, and producibility forever really yeah so how often do you go to china then? a couple of times a year um i've got two sites in china or two locations one is in in the west in, in gansu as i mentioned which is large-scale open pollinated area field scale and the other place i have my well i say my own farm i have uh, exclusive access to a particular farm where we're producing biennial crops the climate in the east of China, Shandong province. It's a very different climate. In June, July, August, it's horrible. It's 35 centigrade, 99% humidity, day and night. So you don't do anything in the summer. But sowing seeds at the end of the humid period and then growing and harvesting, finishing crops in May, June, means... That all the all of their rain is in June, July, which is where the humidity comes from. Oh, right. The rest of the year, it's cool. It goes down to minus ish in the winter, but that's okay with the greenhouses. But the, it's really, really bright sunshine. So for primrose in particular and viola, what you have is a very low humidity, high light slightly longer days in the UK winter, which gives you very, very good biennial crop production options and, 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 that, and that's working really well and so you've got just enough low temperature for vernalization on it, on biennials yes yeah and do you speak chinese which, which is i only speak a little and my chinese is terrible but at least i can make an attempt goodness yeah because it's a tough language isn't it the tones are horrible for europeans it's it's fine if you're young and you can hear the the intonations but i'm afraid i'm a bit too long in the tooth for that (laughs) so we discussed china but you also go to thailand thailand is um i i tend to use do a loop between china and thailand and come and make it in one trip I, I have a small consultancy on plant breeding to a company called amera seeds who are doing a lot of uh, in particular uh, marigold african marigold breeding in chiang mai in northern thailand 
and there's a huge market in Asia for marigolds of all, all descriptions and they are British expat who set it up and he's got a, a, a very good team of breeders and, and seed producers who have very interesting ideas but sometimes need a bit of steerage so I go a couple of times a year uh, at the end of the Chinese trip to just go and say okay I think you're doing this well I think you're doing this not so well why don't you do it this way and uh, and they've surprised me in many ways as well because some of their ideas are really interesting and they need a little steerage and I've learnt a lot from that as well so it's it's a sort of it's not just a, I'm going and telling you what to do. This is a, a, a dual purpose of, of learning from each other. And I, I hope it's worked well for both parties. And generally speaking, the horticultural industry is quite good at that, isn't it? There are a few, of course, that carefully defend advances that they've made. But generally speaking, we fight the weather and we learn from one another. Well, intellectual property protection is important because if you invest a lot of money or a lot of resource into making something new you don't want it copied tomorrow you want to actually earn your your money back from it which is what Fleurselect has been very helpful in doing in, mostly in Europe but against that you go to a conference you go to a, a meeting and everybody is very open up to a point and yes. if the point is different companies different people have different lines in the sand and if people don't want to talk, you don't push them. But on the whole, everybody is very open and very engaging in the generalities. They may not give you the, f- the fine details, but again, it's, it's a sharing community rather than a restrictive community. Finally, David, if you're giving recommendations to listeners from uh, what's come from your pollinating brush, what would you recommend we look out for in the next uh, few months? Fothergills, I believe, are starting to sell my latest eggplant varieties. So what I've done is, again, I've done the patio vegetable approach of uh, dwarfing eggplants. So I've got eggplants that are about 60 centimetres tall, two feet tall, and uh, with fruit that are about 200 grams and about 10 centimeters long and each plant will give over two kilos of fruit if grown um, with enough compost and my wife has got a very good pickle recipe for um, eggplants which if anybody wants uh, I can I can share and and then we've got four colors black purple white and green with a fifth a striped uh, type to be added from harvest 2020. So it's a five-colour series of eggplants designed for, if you like, for home use, like I did with the redskin pepper 30-something years ago. Those eggplant varieties seem to be gaining very good acceptance at the moment, and it's, it's quite pleasing to see something as I first saw as an idea when I left Floranova, after I left Floranova, finally coming back into breeding, production, marketing, and actually getting into the market again. It's, it's, again, it's a feeling of satisfaction that 
I've been able to do it by myself with with my own resources without a huge or larger staffing behind me to to back me up. Now, are they named? Jewel, as in there's Jewel Jet, which is the black, Amethyst, the purple, Jewel Jade, the green, and Jewel Ivory, the white. And I haven't named Stripe yet, but they're all on a Jewel theme. Well, we look forward to that and wish you every success, David. Thank you very much for your time today. It's very good to talk to you, Peter, and uh, thanks for allowing me to um, be part of your podcast process. My thought for the day is very much uh, about air travel, really. Do you think it should be more expensive to reduce the uh, fossil fuel we consume? I mean, I was at Stansted at just after five o'clock in the morning and the place was packed. All those people flying all over the place. Do you really want to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go on holiday? Well, for me, I'd uh, rather be at home, I think. Just pottering in the backyard. I have to fly sometimes for work, but boy, that's quite testing these days. My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast. And thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.